we have spent a lot of time discussing what went wrong. Well, we spent one day discussing what went wrong against Bowling Green. But where does Michigan go from here now that it starts Big Ten play? Let's discuss my expectations for what we will see coming up on this episode of Locked On Wolverines. You are Locked On Wolverines, your daily podcast on the Michigan Wolverines, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Happy Wednesday. We are back in doing it. Locked On Wolverines podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. <laughs> You're wondering why I, I paused there. I wanted to say part of the Locked On Podcast culture. I don't know where that came from whatsoever. Um, your man on the ground, Isaiah Hole, publisher of Wolverines Wire, through USA Today Sports Media Group. Uh, normally on Wednesday, we do like to try to take a lot of the what they said type stuff and, and kind of galvanize it. And there will be, I guess, a little bit of that, but I don't really feel like Michigan's saying anything. I think this was one of the more boring weeks of uh, press conferences we've had, aside from the fact that we had Jesse Minter. I mean, Ron Bellamy was good, but I, I, I don't think uh, there was necessarily a ton to glean from that at this point. Uh, but Jesse Minter finally at least answered a question that I had uh, in the way that I wanted it, right? I, you can, you can ask everyone in that building the same obvious question and you're going to get a bunch of much, you know, very different answers, right? Like you could ask one guy after the game, you know, how do you feel about this win over Bowling Green? And they would tell you it's all, it's awful. I mean, we're, you kind of treat it like a loss do the, the sloppy play and all of this and that. Uh, but then you could ask Josh Wallace, who we talked to on Monday and his response would be like, People are upset about the loss, right? <laughs> like the we're the Millers part. Like when you guys were getting paid, you know. It it, it all it all kind of depends on on the point of view to some degree. Uh, plus, I mean, there has been certainly some kind of training, and sometimes I think that the training is a- antithetical to what the better answer is. Um, I I I would think right because it's always like you know always say nothing's changed, always say that everything's good type of thing that that type of thing happens I feel uh, I don't know for sure but I, I it it's considering we seem to get a lot of the same answers and it's just like okay that that can't be true um I asked Jesse Minter what uh what you know what you had the three games without Jim Harbaugh you were a head coach for one of them uh what's what's gonna be you know what what's different with him coming back to the sidelines right because I I do think that that's that you know, I, I so I've asked a bunch of the players this question. I, I'm going to backtrack for a second. I've asked a bunch of the players this question. They all kind of said like, "Oh, nothing. It was just kind of the same." I I don't believe that, right? I don't. I I think that that's otherwise. I mean, you, I mean, you you do see, for instance, like Ryan Day taking over Ohio State with a lot of the same coaches. It looks still looks different, right? Like, yeah, he did still kind of hum along because he had all this talent was able to run his offense the same way, but the defense started taking a step back, even though uh, you, you had uh, a couple of really good, I mean, it wasn't the same defensive coordinators, of course, obviously Greg Madison, uh, Benedict Arnold did to Ohio State, and they had uh, Jeff Halfley for year one, but, um, and it was good that first year, and then after that it wasn't, but uh, I, I think that things change. You keep the band together, but the man at the top, if he's not on the sidelines, it is going to have an effect. Uh, but particularly, Jesse Binter answered this question in the way that I 
thought it was probably affecting Michigan. So I'm going to read to you his, his what he said. So I had, I had asked him, and uh, for some reason that picture is not showing up on my uh, on on my transcript here. That's just an aside for me. So he said, yeah, I think anytime you take your leader, the guy that all these guys signed up to play for there, that uh, that one of the best head coaches in the world in any sport, any level, it's different. You're asking other people to juggle different jobs. So and so and so that's obviously more of the coaching part. And so now so now that he's back, I think it allows everybody to have a really, really tight focus on their particular responsibility. I think it was a good experience, not something wanted based on the circumstances, but appreciated the way coach did it. I think it was good for everybody, gave everybody a different perspective. And I just like he kind of said, gained perspective from not being there. I think we all gain perspective for how much we appreciate him and how he goes about his business being the head coach now, having done that for a little bit. So I couldn't be more happy and excited to have him back. I think our team feeds off of his leadership. Uh, I said, I don't know what happened here uh, with my transcript. T.I. said I before. Um, is what I typed. Uh, he just breeds confidence. I think it was probably supposed to say, like I said before, uh, he just breeds this confidence into our players. And I would expect guys to be pretty excited right off the tunnel with him this week. Uh, so, uh, my mistyping aside, I think that that's, I think, I do think that that's right. Right. Because like people are going to sit there and say, like, we've talked to the players and you know, I asked Jalen Harrell, I asked a couple other people this week and they're, they're like, oh, it is. I think I asked Blake, Blake Corum, and they're like, eh, not not really anything different. Like, really, nothing's different from the the main guy of the program, the face of the program. I understand it's a player led culture now, right? But there had to be some ebbs and flows that felt a little bit different, right? Yeah, even just the the hey, he's not running out with, there with us. He's not there giving us high fives, low fives, all that stuff when we score. Uh, you know, m- maybe the strategy looked a little bit different. Uh, we, we weren't getting any of that, but to me, like there has to be a big difference. And I think that with Jim Harbaugh back on the sidelines, uh, you, you'll see at least things play out differently because obviously he's the decision maker ultimately when it comes to a lot of these things. And, you know, maybe we see the games go a little bit more smoothly than they had. Not that they didn't go smooth. The first two certainly went smooth, right? Michigan did have some minor issues in each of the first two games offensively, but for the most part, they were a hot knife through butter down the field, got to a certain score and kind of held there. And then the backups came in and it didn't look good. So uh, I do think that there will be some changes when, when he's back. Does it mean that you suddenly we see an outpouring of points? I don't know. Right. Because, you know, may, maybe the offense is still trying to figure some things out. Maybe it's not. I don't, I don't think that we've seen the, the team, operating at the full cohesive level at this point. And I think that's fine because we've seen that in the past before, um, which I think I do want to get into really quickly. So just because last year started off like gangbusters, 51 to 7, 56 to 10, uh, 59 to 0 to start out the year, then it was kind of middling to some degree, 34 to 27 against Maryland. Again, that score isn't as close as it looked. Uh, 27 to 14 against Iowa, same deal, 31 to 10 against Indiana, that score actually was closer than what it looked like before they finally really started playing well, going 41-17, 29-7, 52-17, 34-3, 19-17. So, I mean, that was that. So, 2021, 47-14 against Western Michigan, 31-10 against Washington, 63-10 against Northern Illinois. 
big blowouts, but they get to Big Ten play uh, 20 to 13 against Rutgers, didn't score in the second half, had to do a lot to hold them off from tying the game at the end of near the end of regulation. 38-17 at Wisconsin, that game wasn't as close as the score indicates as, in some respects. I mean, Michigan did dominate them, but the score was relatively close, at least going into the fourth quarter. I believe it was a one-score game. 32-29 Nebraska, 33-7 Northwestern in a really boring game. Lose to Michigan State, 29-7 in also a boring game against Indiana, 21-17 against Penn State uh, before uh, blowing out Maryland, blowing out Ohio State. So I don't think that you should read too much into kind of some of those ebbs and flows because it doesn't always go that way. I'm going to go to one more season here, 2015, a 10-3 campaign. Uh, They lost to Utah, 35-7 against Oregon State, 28-7 against UNLV, 31-10 over, uh, sorry, 31-0 over BYU, 28-0, and like, I mean, Minnesota, 29-26, and then they start blowing teams. Well, they blew out Rutgers over double, triple overtime or whatever against Indiana. Um, So it's it's kind of an, you know, a per-game thing, and I do think that this team has a lot going for it. So what does it have going for it? Let's talk about that here in just one moment. Before we do, snap into action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. All right, so to, to some degree, it feels like... You know, for what everything that happened in the game against uh, Bowling Green, it's like, oh, that that was bad. It didn't go well. You know, I like I said, I had a overreaction uh, on my post game. Like nothing went well, and I corrected myself almost immediately. Uh, but because uh, obviously the defense, I mean, the defense has given up. The starting defense has given up six points so far. And really, in a way, you, you look at it, they gave up three points and then held them to a field goal when they were already in plus territory due to the special teams turnover. But when you turn the ball over, what, four times the way Michigan did? I mean, you're not going to have a good time, right? <laughs> so uh, looking at the turnover ratio, I mean, Michigan got seven points off of turnovers. But the, just so, one, you know, obviously that was the one. Uh, but uh, the, the score after the Chris Jenkins interception... Uh, on the goal line, uh, but uh, all six points uh, that uh, Bowling Green got were over off of turnovers, right? Like they had a good strategy when it came to uh, kickoffs to kind of make things a little bit uh, dicey, obviously for Michigan. Uh, so here, trying to look at my box score here, and I'm trying to find where turnovers is, and it's not readily apparent to me here. So I guess we're just going to ignore that. But, I mean, I think, I, I think I'm right. I think it was four turnovers. Uh, fumble lost. Two, uh, or three interceptions for J.J. McCarthy. Uh, if everything uh, remains what I believe. Uh, and then they only they turned the ball over the other side. Turned the ball over uh, three times. Two interceptions and a fumble. So, uh, certainly... 
Michigan uh, made a lot of mistakes, lost the turnover ratio, only ended up being by one. They, but here's the thing. They could have had the negative three. They could have stayed at negative three, and they still probably would have won the game. That's just where they're at, right? That's how strong they are at this point. Uh, offensively, uh, like, like I said, J.J. McCarthy, not a great day, but still threw for 60-some percent. They, he only threw it 13 times. Technically, he completed 11 passes. <laughs> just happened three of them went to the other team. Uh, still threw two touchdowns. So, I mean, they got that going for them. They got the 169 rushing yards, which isn't like an eye-popping number, but rushed for 5.5 uh, yards per carry. Ultimately, they only had 44 plays that they ran all game compared to uh, to Bowling Green, which ran uh, 57. So that's that's a that's a pretty glaring difference, right? They got they they got basically two whole extra possessions thanks to just how how that went. Um, but here's here's the things here are the things that I I feel good about. Number one, it, it was an outlier for JJ McCarthy. It was a bad game, and I understand the way college football tends to work is you sit there and you look at it and you say, you know, whatever whatever happened last is what always happens, and that's not true, right? Like it's kind of like why all the off season stuff always bothers me because you always have like, oh, this team is going to be so good, so good. Right, like, and it's usually based off of what happened the year before, and you you don't pay attention that they they lost, uh, you know, a bunch of really big players, right? Uh, you know, I think Georgia probably is still really good, but like I look at Alabama, I was like, I kind of feel like they're starting the dip now, right? They're they're starting the the decline, and um, it and it, it's not that's not nearly as egregious as say. Uh, you know, maybe Ohio State, but I guess we'll see. We'll see this weekend when Ohio State plays Notre Dame. I do feel like Ohio State loses that game. Uh, I, I am not convinced that they are fixed based off of a, a good game against uh, Western Kentucky. I mean, Ohio State did what Ohio State should do in any circumstance against Western Kentucky, no matter what. Right? So um, I understand my friend Joel Klatt said that they're being, they're being held to an unfair standard, but I don't believe that that's necessarily the case because you know their style of play, right? If they don't do what they did to Western Kentucky like they didn't in the first two weeks, it, it, it does signify a problem because football styles make fights. And Ohio State, their style is, it does not matter who we play, we are going to try to put up 60 points. And if they don't do it, then it does indicate maybe something has gone amiss. But like the the more egregious is like Northwestern coming out of 2020. You you looked at the hey they turned over the entire team. Mike Hankwitz retired. This isn't going to go good. And yet everyone's like, oh man, Northwestern is going to win the West. They're just so good, right? Recency bias is basically the the quick and easy way to say that instead of me explaining it all. Um, so with that in mind, I I feel like we start to get into a little bit of recency bias and say, well, JJ McCarthy had a really bad game. You know, you see all the rival people posting on X, formerly known as Twitter, sitting there saying like, oh yeah, not Heisman guy, right? Like he's not Heisman material based off of like, hey, three three interceptions. Listen, everyone has a bad game, and maybe maybe it doesn't make him a Heisman guy, right? Because some it does seem like. One bad game can disqualify you from the Heisman. I mean, right now it's Michael Penix's to lose, in my opinion, anyway. But uh, nonetheless, I mean, it, it's more about consistency and what you do in the biggest games. J.J. McCarthy is 
still a little inconsistent, right? Like, he's more consistent than not, but when it comes to what he's done in the biggest games, he has Ohio State, in which he was phenomenal. He had the Big Ten uh, game, in which he was phenomenal. And then he had uh, JJ giveth, JJ taketh away uh, against TCU. So, uh, I, I, I don't think that it's, it's fair to say he's likely to have a repeat performance of what we just saw, right? Like so far he's given that to us twice total. Otherwise JJ has been very dependable and I fully expect he will bounce back. Uh, obviously the defense he'll be facing on Saturday is much different, much better. I know it's Rutgers, but it is a much better defense. Rutgers has tended to have a good defense regardless Right, it's always been an offensive issue in Piscataway, so he's got that going for him. The run game, I feel like Michigan will be a little bit more inventive, a little less vanilla, and uh, I, I think that that'll all work out. The defense, like I said, it is in a phenomenal, phenomenal spot. Let's delve deeper into the defense in just a moment, because I think it is time to 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 just. Breathe, and then we'll talk defense, wrap it all up here. Before we do, uh, listen, there's been so many times that I've been stressed about buying tickets to things. Uh, I've also been stressed about selling tickets to things because there have been times where uh, I've gotten tickets to, I think three times Sarah and I got tickets to something and didn't end up going. Machine Gun Kelly, we decided against... um, Christian artist Torn Wells, we decided against both day of. And uh, the good news is, is there's something out there that can certainly help you out. Buying, your, buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, theater, all those types of things that you want to get near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over tickets and start getting hyped for all of the fun that you'll have. Uh, listen. There's so many great things that they have. The flash deals, the lowest price guarantee. My favorite thing is the seat view because a lot of times you find you might think you got great tickets to find out you're sitting behind a column. Happened to me when I went on a date in college and took this girl to see Wicked at uh, the Masonic Temple Theater and that was a disaster. I mean, it was the biggest disaster of a date I've ever had. Um, So you don't want that to happen. Uh, Game time is the place for last minute ticket deals. It is the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. You can buy tickets in a matter of seconds, two taps, and you're set. Tickets are sent directly to your phone so you never have to dig through your email. Snag those tickets without the stress with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, use the code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE to get $20 off of your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create the account and redeem code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, so we've covered a couple of the biggest things. Running game has been getting going. I know the offensive line hasn't looked super amazing necessarily to this point. Uh, lots of outside zone. They're not doing a lot of that power stuff that we are accustomed to seeing. I, I think that might also be part and parcel of just the uh, just just kind of what we're you know the competition and all of these things. Uh, but do remember that. In 2018, the offensive line was thought of as being bad until week four, and suddenly it was like, wait, is the offensive line good? Right? Like, 
there's also the whole like you know these players know what they're you know where they're playing they they know who they're playing they know what they're playing for yeah i think they're a little disinterested i said that on monday's show but uh, I, I'm not that concerned, especially with all the reports all offseason, the offense was ahead of the defense, which is a rare thing. And yet we see the defense just playing incredible. I think they also got some surprises in the way that teams have defended them in the first two weeks in particular. So we'll see how this looks when it comes to, to Rutgers going forward. Uh, the good news is Nebraska should be a game, obviously a tough defense, debacle of an offense. So, but... Uh, the defense has only given up six points total. They have the number one scoring defense in the country with uh, the the field goal and the touchdown. And so they've only given up one touchdown all year. It was garbage time, obviously. Uh, and uh, otherwise they've given, so they've given up seven, 10, 16 total points in three games. And only six of those were scored on the starting defense. One, three of those are, uh, came on a short field situation. Both of them came off of turnovers. So uh, right now I'd say the defense is ahead of schedule to, to a large degree. The pass rush has been absolutely phenomenal, regardless of not getting sacks in week one, regardless of not having a bulky, bulked up number of sacks in week two. They're getting to the quarterback, and they've, they're doing it consistently. As Jesse Minter had kind of discussed today, uh, it's it's more about pressure than it is sacks. Like, yeah, you want to get the quarterback on the ground, but you know he he pointed to the the play in week one, Kenneth Grant. He said that's all on Kenneth Grant. That Mike Sain was still uh, interception. That's why I you know I didn't understand a lot of the consternation about Kenneth Grant because people look and say he's not getting he's not getting the guy on the ground. Guess what? Sometimes that's just not going to happen, right? They they might have a mandate, you know, quick quick. Get the ball in your hands and get rid of it very fast, which is what uh, East Carolina did. Uh, so uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you're going to see similar kind of throughout Big Ten play uh, where they can. We've seen that, you know, teams try to negate Michigan. Yeah, I mean, we saw that against uh, Penn State in 2021, right? Like the first like three plays were sacks and then suddenly Penn State's like, okay, we can't do what we were going to do, so we're just going to get rid of the ball as fast as possible. And then they didn't really see him get uh, Sean Clifford on the ground again. But they still got pressure, right? So that is the the key thing. I think the pass rush, interior pass rush, has been absolutely great, absolutely phenomenal. Linebacking play has been solid as well. Uh, you, you constantly see what, you know, from my vantage point, standing usually in the end zone, I'm usually like looking and being like, oh, man, like uh, they, they completed a pass. This is bad. And then you recognize that they got one yard out of it because uh, Junior Colson or Mike Barrett or Ernest Houseman ran the guy down. So uh, top rushing defense, I believe, in the country. I'm not going to look that up. I believe that's still true. Uh, but, I mean, it has been a phenomenal defense, and they're doing it without a, basically three-quarters of the starting secondary. So it, they can weirdly get better. So this is a defense that is playing at a high level. I don't care who you are playing, right? Like you can look up and down the schedule and see all kinds of group of five teams that aren't that good go up against high level power five teams and uh, and actually put up some points, right? Yeah, Alabama throughout all the years, and I, I I guess we could look this up just to kind of prove my point, and then I'll usually when I do this, I do not prove my point. I do the opposite. But let's start with uh, let's go back to 2016. 
and uh, see that you know some of their non-conference. So that's not going to do me any good. But I mean, they let up ten points to Western Kentucky. Uh, that's really all they did. They gave up ten next year, ten points to Fresno State, twenty-three points to Colorado State. Mike Bobo, I believe, at that time. Um, Mercer obviously didn't score any points. That's not exactly a surprise. Uh, 2018 Alabama, they played Louisville. So that kind of doesn't count as far as, but I mean, they, cause they scored 14 points Arkansas state got seven, uh, Louisiana Lafayette got two touchdowns against them, right? Like if, if, if they won 56 to 14 in uh, 2018 against Louisiana Lafayette, if Michigan gave up 14 points to Louisiana Lafayette, y'all would be burning stuff down. Citadel that same year, FCS school, Citadel. Got 17 points against Alabama. Y'all would be burning stuff down at that point. You know what I'm saying? New Mexico State the following year got 10 points. Again, Alabama got 62, but you know. Southern Miss scored a touchdown. West uh, Western Carolina FCS school managed a field goal. Um, 2020, the, no, they didn't have non-conference in 2020. 2021, Mercer got 14 points. FCS school, Mercer, 14 points. So their miss got 14 points. Um, New Mexico State only got three. And then 2022, Utah State went blank. Louisiana Monroe got seven. Uh, Austin P got zero. So that is just what it is. I say all this just to say, like, when Michigan gives up a touchdown or two, to, to a team that is much below them, everyone flips out. But Michigan has only given up two scores to one team once this, this year thus far. It was Bowling Green, and they were two field goals. This is, this is the sign of a really, really good defense. I think it's better than advertised. It might not be quite as electric as the 2016 defense, which in my eyes might be the best that Jim Harbaugh, well, probably is the best that Jim Harbaugh's had in terms of pure dominance because, you know, they only lost, uh, they only lost by five points, the three games by five points, right? They basically stopped everybody. Um, so I, I think that that was still probably the best, but we'll see. This has the potential to be that. That one was one where you knew if a team had it third and five or above, they were getting off the field. Actually, it was like third and three and above, you knew they were getting off the field. I don't know if this one's that yet, but it's, it's they can still get stronger, and I would bet that they will. So I think there's a lot to be confident in. I feel like this team's in a really good spot. Rutgers might be a little more difficult than people think. Rutgers has tended to play Michigan really strong. Uh, but, uh, you know, remember they're undefeated. They beat two Power 5 teams. I mean, bad Power 5 teams, Virginia Tech, Northwestern, but they beat them. Manhandled them. Took care of business. They're going to be coming into Ann Arbor with a lot of confidence like they did in 2021. So, we'll see. Anyway, that's going to do it for us today. Plan is tomorrow, Karan Higdon. It will be probably a late night one. We'll see. That's the plan. Uh, certainly plans can change. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> we haven't set a time yet, so we haven't gotten into a rhythm. That is the plan, though. And then we will have the mailbag on Friday. Perhaps those get kind of switched, and then we're going to have a post game. Uh, we're we're going to have some kind of post game content other than the short uh, every every week. It's gonna. It, it might be a half show. 
Might just be me driving home with a light on in my car and talking to my cell phone. But we're gonna have at least a uh, at least a half game. All noon games, noon home games will for sure have a post game late later that day. That's that's part of the new the new standard, uh, which might mean that we sacrifice a Tuesday if here and there like we did this week just to uh, to reclaim some of my time here. But that's it. All right. So thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. Peace. <laughs>